0: Welcome to the One Crossing podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, Low Crossing Church, we're just so glad that you're joining with us. We have the opportunity to join with you in how many locations? 11,335. That's how many it was this last week. Think about that. All of these locations, you know, we usually say, you know, we're 11, we're 12 locations, but now uh, we're coming up on 12,000 locations. And I don't know how many people are looking at each one of those devices because that's how many devices were connected. Uh, with us last week. And I'm praying that, that it, you're not just connecting with us from a technological standpoint, but you're connecting, we're connecting together on a spiritual standpoint. And God is doing something great. He's doing inc- something incredible in your life. I'm praying for that. I'm praying that God does something incredible today as we spend time talking about Jesus Walks. So that's our series, Jesus Walks. And where have we walked? Where have we been in this series? Well, we started out uh, as Jesus was walking that we decided to come alongside and walk with him. We walked to the upper room. And uh, when we walked up into that upper room, we were being able to participate in that last supper. And we, what we realized is that Jesus knows the future. And he doesn't just know the future. He knows your future. And then we walked out of that upper room to the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. And Gethsemane means olive press. And it was a place where they pressed olives into olive oil. We found out that that's the garden of pressure. And that's exactly what it was when Jesus walked there. It it was the garden of pressure. He felt the pressure of what was coming on him and What we understand from that, what we learn is that if Jesus can handle that pressure, whatever pressure is in your life, he'll walk with you and you'll be able to handle that pressure as long as you know that he is with you. And then we went from the garden of pressure to the trials. That's what we talked about last week. And we learned that Jesus is a perfect illustration of his own teaching. He didn't buckle. He didn't break under all of that uh, trial pressure. He didn't do that. He stayed the course all the way to the end. And, you know, that's what we're keying in on now. We're going into the idea of Jesus walking all the way to Calvary. I want you to think about that with me. Jesus walking to Calvary. It's not a place that any of us would ever want to walk. I don't even think we like to think about walking there, but we have to. We all have to walk there because it's the place where our debts were paid. It's a place where we were, where we were all made whole because he paid that debt and he paid it in his own blood. See, Jesus had to walk there. He had to walk there to pay our debt and set us free. In John chapter 19, verses 16 to 18, it says this, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And here they crucified him with one uh, and with him, two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Now, Jesus walked to Calvary. He walked to the place of the skull. And I've walked that same path. That path is called the way of the cross, the way of sorrow. That's what Via Dolorosa means. Let me just tell you something about that that walk. Let me tell you something about that way of sorrow. It's, it's about a half a mile long. Now, a half a mile would have been nothing for Jesus to walk normally. I mean, he walked everywhere he went. He was accustomed to walking long, long distances, walking all day long. But Understand that Jesus is walking this half a mile after he's been beaten nearly to death. And on top of that, on top of him. He's carrying a cross. Now, when you look at the way of the cross today, it's actually not very different from what it was back then. I was reading a story about uh, the making of the passion of the Christ. And Jim Caviezel was the actor that played Jesus in that movie. And they got to that particular part of the movie where Jesus was being beaten. And of course, the Bible teaches us that Jesus was beaten with a cat of nine tails. And he had 39 lashes. And a lot of people didn't even survive that. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus was a big man. He was a strong man. And he was able to withstand that 39 lashes. Well, when Jim Caviezel was filming that they were supposed to be imitating or mimicking what the 39 lashes would be and the brutality of it and in the process of filming they actually hit him once by accident and they opened a 14 inch gash into his back It took his breath away. They had to stop the take. He had to get out of the shot. He had to have immediate first aid because of the severity of that injury. And that's just being hit by one of those cats of nine tails one time. Not only did we find that out when Jim Caviezel did that movie, but we also find that when they put the cross on Jim Caviezel's back, he actually buckled under the weight of the cross and it pushed him down into the dirt, pushed his face into the dirt. And when he went down, the cross actually hit him on his shoulder and dislocated his shoulder. If you see that movie, and I know that they're gonna be showing that movie a lot during this season of the year. If you watch that movie, you'll see that there's this one shot where Jim Caviezel actually embraces the cross, it's like he's hugging the cross. Now, he wasn't really supposed to do that in the movie. The reason he did that is because his shoulder was dislocated and he could not raise his arm. And when they were doing all of the editing for the movie, they noticed that, how he would hug the cross and how he embraced the cross, and they left it in the movie, uh, even though he was never meant to do that. Think that's powerful to think that someone who is just trying to imitate what Jesus did in a Hollywood sort of way, even he was injured terribly just in the filming of it. Imagine what Jesus was going through as he began to walk that way of sorrow, that half a mile to Golgotha. And so Jesus walks into the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. Now, Let me explain what I mean by that, because when you walk the Via Della Rosa, it feels like a valley because you're walking down a very narrow street and there are high buildings on both sides. So it feels like you're in a a kind of canyon. And those are ancient buildings on either side. And the pavement that you walk on, some of that pavement is actually the same pavement that Jesus walked on. And it feels like you're walking in a valley, like you're walking in a cavern, and the streets are lined with these buildings filled with vendors. It's very narrow and people are shouting and they're pushing and uh, they tell you to guard yourself for pickpocketing because there's such a crush of people, kind of hard to imagine while we're social distancing. And so these, uh, these buildings create this cavern and then there is noise, this noise, it's so loud. Uh, If you walk the way of sorrow, the Via Dolorosa, even today, it's so loud because all of these vendors are shouting, trying to get you to buy their stuff. And that noise is bouncing off of the hard surfaces. And it feels at times when you're walking that you're suffocating. And uh, it is that way every single day there in Jerusalem. And it was that way when Jesus walked. The Via Dolorosa. You see, the day that Jesus died, the day he walked that walk, it wasn't a special day from Jerusalem's point of view. It wasn't a big deal that there was a man who was going to be executed that was walking down that street. See, executions, they happened frequently under Roman occupation. And remember, there wasn't one being executed that day, there were three. So Jesus walked and he walked by people. He walked by people shouting and yelling on the Via Dolorosa. He walked by people that day who never even bothered to look up because it wasn't unusual that a condemned man would walk by them. People who never bothered to look up, people who never cared, people who never even noticed. And you know what? Jesus walks by people just like that today just like he did 2,000 years ago. Walked by people who didn't notice him then, he walks by people who don't notice him now. He walked by people who did notice, but they cursed him and they spat on him and they swore at him. And he still walks by people like that today. How many times does Jesus have to walk by us before we actually see him? How many times does Jesus have to walk by us before we realize that His name isn't a curse word? God, it's something for praise and not for condemning. Jesus walks. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death. He walks through the valley of torture and pain. He, he walks through the valley of abuse and tears. He walks through the valley of abandonment and loneliness. He walks through the valley of suffering and sorrow. <laughs> and there are a lot of people suffering around the world right now, aren't there? I mean, we're, our prayers are going out to people all around us that are experiencing the suffering of this pandemic virus right now. There are people right now Carrying burdens. There are people right now who are mourning losses, and I want you to understand something. Jesus understands. Jesus understands the burdens that people are carrying, because He carried burdens. People understand that feeling of loss, because Jesus I mean, Jesus understands that feeling of loss because people have had those losses. Let me ask you a question. Who has experienced more? Who has gone deeper? Who's gone further down this road of the valley of the shadow of death than Jesus has? No one has gone further than Jesus. Jesus walks. And he walks carrying his cross until he couldn't carry it anymore. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 32, it says, As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene. That's North Africa, by the way. And his name was Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. So Jesus carried that cross until he couldn't carry it anymore. And then they gave it to Simon to carry for him. But you know what? Jesus kept walking. He never stopped walking. And he'll never stop walking for you. The deepest, the darkest point of this valley, that was Jesus's destination that day. And it was a horrible, horrible place. Not like the old hymn says. You know, the old hymn says, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. But the place of Jesus' death was actually a convergence of roads, a crossing, if you will, of roads between north, south, east, and west. A hill was behind it, but Jesus was actually crucified at the crossing of those two roads. And that was intentional. That was intentional by the Roman government, and that was intentional by his executioners because they wanted to get the maximum impact for onlookers and travelers. You see, executing a person there was like a sign that was saying, hey, this is what happens to people who defy the Roman government. Don't do it. We read about it in Mark chapter 15, verses 25 to 27. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, King of the Jews, they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And so there he is. At the very epicenter of the valley of the shadow of death, where roads converge. Just like he was there then, he's there today for you, today, where all roads converge, you can find Jesus. And there he was lifted up on a cross, there he was nailed to a cross the Bible says, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And there at this epicenter of the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus is lifted up for all to see. And here's what I want you to do for a moment. I want you to look at this crucifixion from a different point of view. I think that when we we tend to view the crucifixion in our mind's eye or if we're watching it as it's portrayed on a movie screen or a television show. We're on the ground. We're looking up at Jesus, aren't we? And we're witnessing his suffering and pain. But instead, today, what I want you to do is I want you to look through Jesus' eyes. I want you to see what he sees as he endures the cross. And as you see what he sees, I want to ask you this question. What do you see? You know what? He can look down and he can see a tomb. It's not far from him. And eventually his dead body is going to be placed in that tomb. In John chapter 19, verse 41, it says, At the place where Jesus was crucified, There was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid in the place that he was crucified. So Jesus would actually be able to see the place where they were going to bury his dead body. What else could he see? Well, I want you to go a little bit deeper as you look through Jesus's eyes, because Jesus is looking at more than just his physical surroundings. You see, I think as Jesus was on the cross and he looked out before him, as he was in agony and pain, he could see the truth of the world. What do I mean by the truth of the world? I mean that he could see the soldiers beneath him gambling for his clothes. That's the truth of the world. That's the compassion of so much of the world. He could see this seemingly inexhaustible supply of hatred coming from the Jewish religious leaders and the mob that they had brought with them. Look what it says in Luke chapter 23, verses 35 and 36. It says, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. And they offered him wine and vinegar. It's like, it's like these people couldn't get enough. I mean, isn't it enough that they saw him convicted? Isn't it enough that they saw him beaten within an inch of his life? Isn't it enough that he had to carry that cross through this valley of the shadow of death? Isn't it enough? that he was nailed to it? Isn't it enough that he was humiliated with a crown of thorns? Isn't it enough that they put a sign over his head? Isn't it enough that he was crucified naked? Isn't it enough? Is it ever enough? It's like they couldn't get enough. Evil laughter, accusations, and ridicule kept coming even then. You see, Jesus saw the truth about the world. He saw the truth about the people then. Listen to me. And he sees the truth about people right now. He sees the truth about you. He sees the truth about me. He sees the darkness that's inside of each and every heart. He saw us at our absolute worst. And he still walked there. He didn't turn back. He didn't give up. He kept walking. He saw He saw the truth of the world and he saw the truth about us. That's not all he saw. He also saw the need of the world. He always saw the need of the world. When Jesus looked over Jerusalem, it says that he wept over Jerusalem. He said that he saw people like sheep without a shepherd. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone them, would I have gathered you together even as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you wouldn't have any part of it. See, Jesus saw the truth of the world, but he also saw the need of the world. You know what it's like? It's like this whole world is sick. Oh wait a minute, you're saying, Whole world is sick. Yeah. It may be sick with a pandemic virus right now, but it's been sick with a spiritual virus. Ever since the Garden of Eden. This world is sick. And it's dying and it's coughing. And it's gagging for its last breath. See, we've all been infected with a terminal disease. And we become carriers of that disease to everyone around us. And you know what that's called? It's called sin. We cough up judgment. And we sneeze out insults and the blood of Jesus pours out of his body down the wood of that cross because it's the only vaccine that'll save a lost and dying world. You see, Jesus saw the truth of the world, but he also saw the need of the world and his love motivated him to look beyond the truth, to see the need. And then he met that need. As a matter of fact, he gave every drop of his blood in his body for that need. You know, Jesus, he was looking east from the cross where they crucified him. And as I told you, he could see immediately before him, he could see the tomb that they would lay his dead body in. He could see all of these people and hear them as they shouted and cursed and mocked him. He could see those Romans as they were gambling for his clothing. And he could also see the need, a perfect reflection of the need of the whole world right there in that moment. But if he looked up, if he lifted up his eyes from that point on the cross, he could see the Mount of Olives because it rose up to the east away from him, was directly in front of him. And since Jesus knows the future, he knew that that would be the point where he would leave this world. Not a few days after the moment that he was experiencing at that crossroad, at that crossing. He could see this place where they were going to put him in the tomb and he could see the place where he was going to ascend back to his father in heaven. And do you know what he could see in between those two points? He could see darkness, incredible darkness. In Mark chapter 15, verse 33, it says, at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For three solid hours, it was like the sun was put out and there was no light. But it wasn't just the lack of light from the sun that Jesus saw in that darkness. It was not just the darkness of getting closer and closer to death. He saw the darkness of hell and he saw the darkness of eternity without grace. And he stared into that darkness of hell. and He stared into that darkness of eternity without grace. And even as his body went lifeless and limp on that cross, as he gave up his spirit, Jesus didn't stop walking. Even when they were bringing his body down, even as they pulled it off of the cross, as they washed it and wrapped it and laid it in a borrowed tomb, Jesus was still walking. What do you mean? He was walking into the darkness of hell itself. He was walking there for you. And he was walking there for me. Loose from the mortality of his body, he was able to descend down there. And you know what he did? He went to our jailer and he took the keys out of his hand He took the keys out of Satan's hand, the keys to your eternal prison and my eternal prison. He took out of the hands of Satan and he did that for you. He did that for me. In Revelation chapter one, verse 18, he says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. He tore the veil in the temple from the top to the bottom And he did that for you. See, he was still walking. Walked into hell, took the keys. Walked out of hell, walked to the temple. Grabbed a hold of that nine-inch thick veil from the top to the bottom and ripped it in half to expose the holy of holies, saying once and for all, humankind, you have access to the Father now because I've bought it for you in my own blood. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, it says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. I'm so thankful it wasn't torn from the bottom to the top because you see, man could never get access to God. God had to create access for man. And that's what he did when he tore that veil in half from the top to the bottom. Jesus made a way for you to get what you need. What we all need. And that is the grace of God. The grace of God. The grace of God that pays your debt. The grace of God that sets you free. The grace of God that opens a pathway to you between the point where you are right now and where you could be spending eternity that opens the door of heaven itself for you that's what jesus did for you he came to give you what you need and he walked there he walked there for you he walked into hell for you walked out of hell for you walked in that temple for you so you'd have access to your father. And you know what? He's still walking because Jesus is standing beside you right now. I don't care where you are. Jesus is there with you right now. And my question to you is what will you do? We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.